0: One of the things that we like to do is investigate our own lives, learn a little bit more about our character. Well, as Christians, we're not called merely to look upon ourselves and use the rudiments of the world, but instead we are to look at Christ and see how close we are to him, and if we are far away, to move much closer. So today, in our examination of being Christ-like, we're going to be introducing a cardinal virtue test. Now, we hear all this talk about, you know, personality profiles and things like that. We really like to learn about ourselves because you can do that. But today we don't just want to be focused inwardly, but also upwardly. <laughs> We're going to be looking at Christ and weighing ourselves against the cardinal virtues. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio.
1: I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow,
0: and I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And Pastor Mike, who has a feather in his
2: cap today, I'm over here wearing one of his old jerseys. Would you like to explain that real quick as we begin? Yeah, they're going to have an alumni football game tonight, and. At Montgomery Central High School, and I am looking forward to going there. Got a couple of parishioners playing, and, um, you know, so I got the feather in the hat. They are the Montgomery Central Indians, and so we're we're excited about the game, and I don't know, it's uh, football Friday. And
0: I'm not really sure why you had me wear one of your jer- jerseys. <laughs> I could have wore one of my rugby jerseys or something like that. But anyways, we're going to have a good time, and let's get rolling with this. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin?
1: Sure, let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you, and then use us as we pray as you will, and always to the glory and welfare of your people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. All right, today we're going to be talking about the seven cardinal virtues, and we also have a fun conversation after this that's going to be looking at cryptids, if you want to hang around for that. But let me begin by saying the seven cardinal virtues are faith, hope, charity. charity is derived from love, this idea of emptying out yourself for another. But faith, hope, charity, then prudence, temperance, justice, and finally courage. And what we're gonna be doing with this list is we're gonna put a score on them. Somewhere between zero, meaning you have like no faith in your (laughs) life, or you're someone without any temperance or charity, you get a zero. Or a 10 would be, you know, you're pretty high up there. You have a lot of hope. You're someone that has a lot of charity. And a perfect score on this list would be a 70. Uh, Some people might rank higher. Some people might rank lower. And I actually think this could be a really useful tool within Christianity if we were to have this and to actually take and flesh this out into something which we could use. It's like a test. People go and they write out some things and answer some questions. But today, we're just going to play around with this concept. And we're going to be looking at figures throughout Scripture with it. To kind of learn about that so does that sound pretty cool does yeah, sound like a fun good. yeah it sounds yeah. good bring it on all right so the first character we're going to be talking about today is the prophet jonah and i think this will be a good teaching lesson for us because you know we often are confused on what makes for fruitful ministry is it the quality of the person carrying it out or is it the message which god wants to use through them So let's jump through this with our cardinal virtue test, beginning with Jonah. So for our first character, I'm gonna give the rating first and we'll take turns just because I wanna make sure everybody's on the page, but for all the others, I'm gonna give my rating last. So number one, Jonah, faith. The first of the the seven virtues. I'm actually gonna give him a uh, whopping two on this. (laughs) He's gonna score really low. One, because he doesn't have enough faith in God to think that God will win. Like this is why he runs away from from Nineveh. He doesn't like believe God's message is actually going to win. However, he has enough faith that he knows he can't stay there in the territory of (laughs) Judah. He can't stay there with the Israelite people because he thinks God is going to smite him. But for some reason, he doesn't think God has much power outside of kind of the Israelite society. So he gets he gets a really low score for me on faith, too. Uh, Pastor Amanda, your thoughts?
1: You know, I almost want to say the opposite, because I think it is he had so much faith that God's message would win and he didn't want it to win. And that's why he ran. So he had a lot of faith in the sense of he believed God was just. He knew God was just, but he didn't want God to be just. So I'm going to go with. I think he had like a seven in his faith.
0: You know what? That was a really, really wise answer. And actually, I think that was a, a little bit more accurate than my take. So I'm going to give you props for that. <laughs> Pastor Mike. I agree with
2: Pastor Amanda. I'm, I'm going to give it a uh, an eight. I eight. mean, if he had no faith, he wouldn't have won.
0: Now, see, look, this is a score of 1 through 7, and you've already come over the top. Oh, it's 7? No, eight.
1: it's 1 through 10. Oh,
2: one through 10.
0: I'm
1: sorry. Yeah, yes. it's okay. just okay. there's 7 right, topics, right, right, right. yeah.
2: Okay, so what did you
1: give him, Amanda? I gave him a 7. Okay. And uh, he gave him an 8. Okay. I'm going to go ahead okay. and give
2: him an 8, because, right. I, again, why would he run if he had no faith?
0: <laughs> Fair enough. And here I am. I'm forgetting my own metrics, and I'm going to put this together. So <laughs> It happens. It's it all happens. right. It happens. All right. All right. Number two on the list of cardinal virtues, hope. Hmm. What sort of hope does Jonah have going on here? And again, I'm going to give him another two because he's not a guy that has a lot of hope in life. Mm. He doesn't have hope for his own people. He's actually pretty mad at what's going on throughout Israelite society. He doesn't have hope of God redeeming the world in, like, any meaningful way. So he's only getting a two for me. And especially there in the end of the story, even after he actually sees success, he still wants to go around and and be a loser in the desert. So Jonah gets a a two on hope for me.
1: Yeah, I agree with that um, because— there, there isn't he. There's the faith in God's justice, but there's not hope in it actually producing anything worthwhile. So I agree. He, he gets it too.
2: Okay, Pastor Mike. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little higher. I'm gonna go with a five. I agree with what you guys are saying, but at the end of the day anybody has been swallowed by a fish and and uh, been delivered through that, he's got to realize how strong God is and there's hope in realizing that. So even though I want to side on a lower number, it, it jumps up just by how God has worked in his life and revealed, you know, God's
0: this is actually why he has low hope because he was spit up from the well he should have had hope at the end of the story but yet he doesn't yeah it had it's like it had no power over him he didn't (laughs) learn his lesson
2: i I still say it it, there has to be some type of something i'm gonna go i'm gonna stick with my five that's
0: fine that's fine um the next one we have charity here the uh, the and this is the based on agape love and you know we we define that in all sorts of ways i'm kind of going with the the classical understanding that this is the ability to empty yourself out for another your your charity and Jonah, he is willing to empty himself out enough in the sense that he's actually going to get up and, and move. He's not just totally passive. And then when he's on the boat, he is willing to be thrown overboard. Mm. So I'm going to give him a six on this, even though he, he really doesn't deserve it. This is, this is charity on my part, <laughs> giving him a six, because he don't deserve it. But I'm going to give him a six on this.
1: Well, like if we kind of break his story down into like several little parts... He only seems to yeah show love in that one scene you mentioned about him in the uh, with the storm. And they were looking to throw somebody over anyways. So maybe finally some guilt like knocked into him where he realized if he didn't speak up an innocent person. So uh, I, I don't know if I can give him as high a score and I don't want to keep saying two. So I'm just going to go with like, I'll go with a three.
0: You're going to give me a three. Yeah. Hey, you know, I can respect that. <laughs> Pastor Mike.
2: I'm going to go with a four. Just even out Yeah kind of But you know I'm I'm being As Dylan said Charitable there In that But yeah You know I I think you know Even being thrown overboard At the same time It's such a A fierce storm It looks like He's going down Regardless Whether he's thrown over Or not So uh, Maybe There's some Charity Charity Going on there But I'm going to give him I'm going to stay with the four And again That's being very gracious
0: (laughs) Yeah fair enough All right. The next cardinal virtue is prudence. Now this, this, of course, we talk about someone being prudent that has some connection to wisdom, but there's also this element that you can endure with that, like over time. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just enough that you make the wise decision in the moment. Like a lot of times we'll go out and we might see an item in the store that we like and like the initial impulse is I don't need to buy that. But then kind of you, it wears on you and you kind of go back and pick it up. Like the, the prudence does not last. But, but real prudence does last. Like mm-hmm. you have this enduring wisdom. You're going to persevere. You're going to continually overcome. And you've got that guiding principle of wisdom that's going to, to mark your character. So prudence here on Jonah. Um, I'm actually going to give him a zero on this one. <laughs> he really doesn't do anything wise throughout the story at all. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times he does give in to his initial impulse. And I mean, he, he thinks he can run away from God by going in the wrong direction. Uh, he gets spit up from the well, and then he does go to Nineveh. But immediately after, he he falls back into the to the like self pity. Like, do you do well to be angry? Like that book ends with God chastising him for for not being prudent, basically. So I'm going to give him a, a fat zero on that. <laughs> Pastor Amanda.
1: Uh, yeah, I think you make a pretty good case for that. I I feel, I feel bad though for zeroing him out. So I'll give him a one.
0: One. I uh, see. We we have charity, mercy triumphs over judgment here,
2: Pastor Mike. I, you know, I'm I'm giving a half point. <laughs> can, can, can I we, give a half? Uh, I'm going to round that up to a one. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you would. You're right. You know, he gets angry with God even at the end over the gourd, um, and so I'm. i It's just hard to give anything, you know, that's passing here. So it is. It's like a fail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they, were, if they made fail videos back then, they might have have Jonah doing some fail.
0: Yes, indeed, <laughs> biblical fail videos yeah. brought to you by Kingdom of the Logos. Jonah.
2: <laughs> I mean, just, just yeah. Jonah.
1: Just Jonah.
2: Just Jonah. Um, On loop. <laughs> it, it's not a real popular name, you know. A lot of people don't name their kids Jonah. Yeah. I, just don't see it. Wait, I mean, <laughs> we have John. Yeah, mm. but but you're right. The the specific
0: derivative Jonah, we know we don't do a lot. All right, next on the list is temperance, and again I gotta give it, I gotta give the guy another zero. Temperance, this idea that your character it's well rounded, you can kind of respond to any situation correctly, mm. and you're you're well tempered. You 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 know that sometimes you're in the temple and they're doing something here they shouldn't be. So you actually do need to turn the tables over. Other times you're dealing with uh, someone who's lost and they're actually pursuing truth and you know maybe Jesus deals with the woman at the well kindly maybe he's kind of severe there in the temple maybe he calls people brood of vipers maybe he you know comes and lifts a little boy up who's been possessed by demons you know temperance is this ability that your character is well-rounded you're responding correctly you're not going to be caught off guard you're not going to be turned into a monster you're not going to react in some crude way I don't think Jonah would have been asked by God repeatedly, do you do well to be angry? Which is basically Jonah chapter four. Do you do well to be angry? One of the great questions of scripture. We should ask ourselves this every day. <laughs> it's a tempering question. Do you do well to be angry? Um, a fat zero. Jonah is not well-tempered. Um, big, big old fat zero here. Um, with that, I'm gonna throw it over to Amanda.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of an instance. Like you could even think of some of the earlier ones we were talking about. Maybe he didn't do well in those subjects, but at least there were, like some hints and maybe some hope and and love. But I really am not sure. I can think of one. I really hate giving him a zero, but he does worse with Temperance than he does Prudence. So I'll, yeah. I'll give him a zero.
0: He does. He does
2: worse with that than any other. Wow. Pastor Mike. I'm going to shock you all. I'm going to give him a whopping five.
0: Okay.
2: And all we have, you know, really for me is knowledge is what's in the biblical event of, of the, you know, the mm-hmm. book of Jonah. Uh, and, of course, he's mentioned in other places, even in the gospel by Jesus. And I want to go on and say, though, you know, to this day there is still... A tremendous uh, monument that represents Jesus. I mean, uh, Jonah's tomb in Nineveh, and so I'm thinking that this temperance and this, you know, it takes that shaping and molding that um, through trials, and he some of these are self-inflicted wounds that he's caused on himself, obviously. But I'm gonna I'm going to go ahead and say for them to have made a monument um, at his tomb, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a five. Okay. There's something beyond the story. I mean, there's not much to build a tomb there and, you know, want to remember Jonah by uh, just in that story alone. it uh, be interesting to do some research in that.
0: Yeah. All right. The next on the cardinal virtues we have is justice. And justice is this idea that you want things to be in the proper order. If somebody's been wronged, you want that to be corrected. You, mm-hmm. you like in your life things to be organized well. You're orderly. And you like the world around you, morality to be very orderly as well. People not to just be like rampantly doing sin and evil to one another. So here I'm actually going to give Jonah a really high score because I think he's actually frustrated by the world being so broken is why he himself is such a, a nihilist. And this is one of the reasons why he does do so poorly there with his temperance is because he can't respond to his own urge for justice correctly. And so I'm actually going to give him a 10 on this one. This is like the biggest score I'm going to give him. <laughs> and it's also bad to get a zero temperance in it and like a, a 10 on justice. That's a bad thing. It does make you
1: out to be a Pharisee or an in- in- inquisitioner. Yes. Or yes inquisitor. It does. Inquisitor. No, no,
0: that's exactly right. The Pharisee, inquis- inquisiting. That word. Inquisitive, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I can't speak English here. That is what this produces. But Amanda, your score on this.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to give him an eight because he is very well ordered, I think, maybe cosmologically. In the sense of if you do bad, you need a harsh judgment. But he isn't very uh, orderly within himself. That's true. And so, um, and I think that's where, like, the question you were asking, are you right to be angry? That's ordering within yourself and and valuing Mm -hmm. those things. So I think he's got hints of it very strongly, but not quite there. So I'm going to give him an eight.
0: An eight. Okay. Fair. Pastor Mike.
2: I I just can't uh, be that, I guess, uh, you know, Charitable to him, I'm gonna give him a four. Again, there's just uh, in the biblical account. And of course, there's more. I'm sure that that you know is probably out there. I just can't give him any more than that because if he if he truly grasps justice and realizes that justice is from God, true justice mm. and true righteousness, whenever God would send him, he would be obedient. And so, I'm I'm gonna stick with a four. Mm. All right, and the last one we have here is
0: courage, but this is also the idea of your fortitude. Mm. And, and when we think about courage, courage is the willingness to test the virtue. So I want us to think about courage as you see the light of God, you're moving towards God's kingdom. You're fortified. You're, you're kind of chased in your own morality. You're not gonna spin off the road and, and go over there into like whatever ditch it is. You're not gonna just be you know, flopping around in the mud. You're going the direction. You're going to test the virtues of God. You're going to test the things God has has called you to do. And you're going to be courageous in that pursuit. You've got your eyes on the prize. You're moving. So for this one, for Jonah and her courage, you know, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to give him a six on this because he actually goes where God tells him to go eventually. (laughs) Not initially. eventually. Eventually. Eventually he does go. He's just not happy about it. But, but I will give him some credit for at least doing it. Because a lot of times people, they say, well, I'm not happy about it, so I'm not going to do it. And then there are people who will want to discredit when actually you do what God told you to do, but you weren't happy about it. You're still motivated to serve God, even though your own emotions have had to be overridden to do that. And he does override his own emotions to do that. So he gets some credit, though not full credit. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's only going to get a six on this.
1: I think I'm going to give him a five because for very similar logic. But I feel like he doesn't quite get enough to kind of go over half. So that's why I'm going to keep him in a five. And just because, yeah, he does eventually go and he proclaims for three days across Nineveh. But I wonder if that's more out of his own weird view of justice. Because his message is basically God's going to smite you. He's not even very articulate on the repentance and the compassion and the the grace that's being extended. So um, there is fortitude and strength in it, but it's more powered by his uh, aggression. Than it is, Um, so so yeah. I think he's got it, but again, it's it's a little out of whack.
0: Okay, okay, fair enough, Pastor Mike.
2: A zero, a zero. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I think I think the reason he goes on, and I'm, you know, I guess this is where we can have differences of opinion. Who really knows? But you know, it. I think his 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 Mm -hmm. deliverance of the message is based a lot upon. I can't get away from God. And Mm. and if I go back, the the fish gonna bring me back, and I (laughs) I don't think he's ready to get back in the in the 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 belly of the fish. So I'm I'm gonna give him a zero. Mm.
0: Well, you know what's crazy is so we gave some wildly different answers to a lot of these questions, but our our final result is actually almost identical. Both Amanda and I gave him a twenty six.
1: Out of 70. Out
0: of 70. Oh, that's Mike, not good. <laughs> no, that's not good. 26 out of 70 is bad. Very bad. That's a big fail. But Pastor Mike gave him a 27. Huh? That's that's virtually identical results on our analysis of Jonah. So where where it comes to the carnal virtues,
2: not doing so hot. It's still a fail. Still still a very <laughs> big fail. That's not yeah, even... 35 is what? 50%, half. I guess. Yeah.
1: So he's yeah. not even half. He's a little more than a third.
0: Yeah. But He's, but, he's bad.
1: But that ain't good. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so... There we go. We got our our first analysis using the cardinal virtue test. And this is something we we weigh out our own character with, like Mm -hmm. how am I doing in these things? That's one of the reasons that we're going through this. Let's look at some other biblical characters that might give us a different take. And like I said, just using Jonah to explain some of these virtues, I answered first. But for now, I'm going to let Amanda and Mike answer first. So next we're going to do Queen Esther. Mm. So Amanda, Queen Esther on faith. Where do you rank her on that?
1: Mm, sorry, I'm going to need, uh, no, I think she should score pretty highly in faith. I think she knows who, who God is and who her people are. When we get into the next topic, I think that's going to be the contrast. So for now, I'm going to give her, uh, let's do an eight. You're
0: going to do an eight?
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Pastor Mike? I'm going to go with the seven. And I'm being, I, you know, I want to go higher. But you know the the whole book of Esther doesn't mention God, yeah. um, and it alludes to it. It implies God's presence, even with the prayer uh, prayer and fasting. Um, again, I'll, I'll go with the seven.
0: You're gonna go seven, so, and actually, I'm glad you bring up the prayer and fasting because that's why I'm going to give her an eight as well. She she is relying on the methodologies and the the formulas which God has given to her, and again. Faith in God is not all about formulas. I'm I'm highly critical of that. But at the same time, the the techniques and things that God has given us can be very useful. And mm-hmm. she she does have faith in those things. And she has faith in, and I mean the, just the truth of the matter that I have been here for a time such as this. That that's like an irrevocable fact. She she recognizes I'm really the only one that can do something about that. And I have faith in the the fact that moving forwards in righteousness is the better path than being passive or giving into the to the evil. So I'm going to give her an eight in that. And now we're going to move on to hope. Hope.
1: I think for hope I'm going to give her a six, and the reason is, I mean, because she does say, "If I perish, I perish." So there is this an overarching again, kind of a cosmological hope that in the end God will bring about justice and truth, um, and save His people. But in the immediate, there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope, um, and so that's why I think it's more than half. But she's still—it's a place in which um, she does really rely on Mordecai and her people to give her hope because she's not finding it in herself. So I'm not—it's really not a bad thing. But I just there's place there's room for growth. In, in her story, and it, what will make her story more hopeful is those other attributes will kind of make up for the deficiency in this one.
0: Right, right. Pastor Mike?
2: I'm going to give her a 9. Okay. Uh, and, and you know, for the same reason, reason I gave such a, a low score on faith, I'm going to give a higher score on 9 because there is this prayer and fasting taking place, and, and, you know, I think for me that's an element that says our hope is in God. And uh, we'll, we'll approach God and we'll we'll pray and and pour our hearts out and say, God, God save us. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and go with the nine.
0: Right, and, and I'm gonna give a nine as well. And it's actually for the reasons that Amanda gave. She has hope in things outside of herself. Hmm. And you're right, in the immediate sense, she recognizes that this may end badly, but she has hope in the transcendent sense, that there's something at work here larger than myself And even though she can't see it, this is where I think the story is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Because this is a real leap of faith. This is the real, I'm not permitted to lose hope. I must have hope. Even in this darkest hour, if I perish, I perish. And I think it's so beautiful. The sheer beauty of it, um, I'm giving her a a nine on that. Mm -hmm. But let's get on to charity, the willingness to empty out yourself for another.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think she gets a nine on that one. I mean, just because of what we just said. She she knows the consequences for this are, are death. And even the, not only her immediate death, but I mean, kings are fairly fickle people with lots of power, always a bad combination. And they are known to not just kill the people they dislike, but kill the, you know, your family, your friends, the person you talk to once, you know, in the morning. Like, so she's risking a lot. Yeah. And she's willing to do it. And I, um, like, <laughs> The only reason I'm not giving her a 10 is just because, like, the same reason I, f- I feel bad about giving zeros. Perfect scores are, are very odd things. So, but she definitely gets a 9.
2: Pastor Mike? <laughs> I'm going to give her a 10. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> and I think because sometimes, you know, this is a – you know, love wins be, because she wrestles through these things. I think as Mordecai – Uh, you know sends messages and and she she has to wrestle through this and realize you know that that sure you know i'm putting myself in danger but i i love my people and uh, not only that i love to see righteousness taking place i care about people i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and give her a 10 and i do think it's extraordinary i I agree with pastor amanda but i do think that uh uh, queen esther fits in this extraordinary category yeah
0: mm-hmm. um john fifteen thirteen, of course no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends i mean esther embodies that mm-hmm. the whole if i perish i perish she knows the price she understands the price and then you know the beauty between esther chapter four and chapter five she goes and puts on the royal robes you know yeah she had been the queen before but now she really is the the queen of like the largest empire in the known world at the time, like she, she steps into that role and it's beautiful. Mm. Like it's just a stunning moment of just beauty. Um, that that is so rare. Like it, it,
2: it's it's just phenomenal, Pastor Mike. You know, I think even you know we we've read the story so many times that we kind of read through it again with lenses of knowing the outcome. But you, I, I think even mm. with the plan that she puts together, I, I think you know, uh, the king could look at that and say, this is nothing more than manipulation. And, you know, we obviously know that's not what happened. Um, And it also shows that, you know, in this, that that she is much more intelligent than the king. And, you know, he's kind of oblivious to everything going on. (laughs) But nonetheless, um, uh, you know, Haman has a very instrumental, I mean, a very influential grip on this king. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it could have very easily been bad. We know what happened to Vashti in, uh, in the beginning there. So at bare minimum, she, she can be, you know, accused of, you know, just being manipulative and, and moved outside of the, the finer settings that she's in and then worst case scenario, tortured to death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one we have is prudence. And, yeah, I'll just let Amanda answer this. I
1: think that one, so that's kind of the, that long-term wisdom. Yeah. She does, um, and I'm trying to remember the particulars of the story of Esther. There, there's several dinners that have to be right. planned in order right. to like. There, we we think of that grand moment at the end where she puts on the royal robe, she goes before the king. But there's a lot of little moments before right. then. So I think she was very prudent in this, and sometimes we play that story off as her like losing her nerve, and that's why there had to be several dinners. But maybe that was part of the master plan. So yeah. I, I'm going to give her an eight because I I think she and it. And her story is her story in combination with her people around her. So Mordecai yeah. definitely was a good influencer, But she had to choose to kind of lay this plan out or right. to follow through on it. So I, I think she did very well in not just in the moment, but the next moment and the next one and the next yeah,
2: one. Yeah. Pastor Mike? I'm going to give it a 10. Uh, and again, I don't give 10s very easily, but... The, the prudence of Esther is extraordinary, and I think that is one of the beautiful... I mean, we even have the Feast of Purim that comes out of this. And so, you know, as I look to this, uh, you know, there there is a sense of study, analyzing the situation, and then acting upon that, incorporating others, looking not just to the immediate, but how does this look long-term out, taking time to to pray and to fast and hear from God, I, I, I think it is a extremely uh, good example of Christ-likeness being lived out before Christ became incarnate. Sure. And so I, I, I'm going to have to give it a 10.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to give it a 10 too. And when you go back and you bring up the feast, one of the things that, that the villain, Haman, Haman, however you want to pronounce his name, dude's a thug. And he also has no class. Like, one of the big contrasts between Queen Esther and Haman, who are kind of the the heroine and then the villain of the story, is he's, he's extremely tacky. Like, he's tacky throughout the entire <laughs> book of Esther. Like, he does tacky stuff. He thinks it's all about him. He's crude. He doesn't follow what would be kind of royal, you know, dignit protocol. He just kind of does whatever he wants. And because he's so lewd in just everything he does, um, you can really see the contrast in that in Nestor, who does go over the top, being very prudent, um, very wise. And I think for that, like, she definitely gets a 10 in my book. Mm-hmm. And it's just remarkable to see see how those two things contrast. All right. Mm-hmm. The next one we have is temperance, how, how she reacts. And you do see, actually, a lot of different incidents where she does have things she's got to react to in here.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where, again, because you were saying, like, this contrast with Haman or Haman— Right, Haman's over the top. He's he's reacting in anger. He's reacting in uh, jealousy. He's reacting in in fear. And then you have this reverse reaction with people who have already almost been proclaimed that a certain time they're going to get themselves, their families, and themselves murdered, and yet they are reacting with uh, with fortitude, with strength. And so I think I'm going to give Esther uh, an eight. Well, yeah, I think that's good because she really does have that temperance to react to these situations, but again, it's something where she, we, we hear in the story her struggle of what to do and how to react to these situations, and again, this is not to diminish her strength or courage, this is just to say when she realized, she had the temperance to realize when she could not have the strength within ourselves. that's when she gathers, um, You know, the ladies of her court together and they pray and fast. She calls uh, Mordecai and his friends to come together and fast. So when she doesn't have the temperance or she looks forward knowing, I'm going to need more temperance tomorrow when I go before the king, she knows how to prepare for it. So there's room for growth, but actually that's the beauty of the story. And so I'm going to give her an 8. Okay.
2: Pastor Mike? Well, I guess my understanding of temperance is is, you know, a little different working in a, in a glass factory where we tempered glass, and so we know that the stresses and the things that go on with that is what makes the, the glass stronger. I'm going to give her a 10 because if you look at Esther's life, even with the abs, you know, it's a broken family. Um, you know, Mordecai is raising her. It's not, not, even though he's the father figure, he's not the biological mother and father being taken into the, to the, uh, basically the harem Um, and become queen, Uh, you know, everything about her is full of situations that are not always the best, but even in those situations, God shapes and molds her, and I believe she is a very strong lady with great influence and power by the end of uh, the book of Esther, and I, I know I keep saying I don't give many tens, <laughs> but I'm going to give her a ten. I almost give her a nine here, but there's so much, you know, tragedy that you see happening, and yet she continues to, to you know, be shaped and molded and, and become stronger and stronger and wiser and wiser and really is a tremendous I- instrument of God. So, mm. I, Ten. And I'm going to give her an eight on this just because it, it does require Mordecai
0: to kind of spur her along and mm-hmm. say, you know, you were born for a time such as this. So she's a little bit slow on the front end, but at the same time, no, she she really does have remarkable temperance in this. I mean, think about how often we have this weird psychological uh, phenomenon where a lot of times we want to know, even if it's the worst case scenario, like people prefer to hear bad news than to hear no news. Mm-hmm. We don't just simply want good news. Like, the waiting period, like if you have cancer or something like that, the waiting period of uncertainty is oftentimes more painful than knowing the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even horrendous situations where if you've got a, a loved one who's missing or something like that, there there comes resolution in finding out that maybe they died that you don't get while they're still kind of out there. Yes, there is hope, but at the same time, with that hope comes a lot of sorrow. And we want that resolution. Mm-hmm. Estra has the the temperance to say... I can endure for a few days of fasting. I I don't, I I can hang there in this limbo while I am preparing myself. I have the moral temperance that I can I can do that, mm-hmm. and I think that is worthy of a high score. But at the same time, it does take a little bit of spurring to get her there. So I'm going to give her a nice eight on that. The last one, or no, excuse me. We've got last two. Uh, Justice, Amanda. The right order of the
1: names. ordering of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um... Almost kind of, well, no, it is very similar to to Jonah in a sense where she does have a cosmological view of the justice that needs to take place, but she also isn't quite sure how to get there, and that's right. where she needs Mordecai to kind of come in and speak to her about like, all right, listen, like you hold back, definitely no justice, yeah, um, and even if you speak, maybe no justice, but you still have to try. Sure. So, um, I'm trying to think because she's also in a position. It's odd because as a queen, she has more power to enact justice, but also absolutely no power to enact justice because she's the queen, not the king. She's not even a royal advisor; like she's basically arm candy. Um, so she, it's very odd. But then she does have a very strong position to enact justice. So I'm I'm really talking through and having no answer. So I'm gonna just say, uh, I'm gonna give her a seven. Okay.
2: Pastor Mike, I'm going to go with. uh, I'm going to go with a, a, a solid eight um, I think she, she really does exemplify a lot of you know righteousness but e- even in the conversations with Mordecai this is the father figure for her and let us never forget Jesus Jesus even called upon the father went up on the mountain to pray uh, sought that solitude and even in the garden of Gethsemane you know Father, is there any way that this cup can, can come from me? But yet, he is obedient, and he understands, and he is he follows the will of the Father. So, I, you know, I, I, I almost want to give her a 9, but I'm going to go with an 8. Um, but n- nonetheless, uh, there's some really great beauty, not just in, in her physical attractiveness, but just in her understanding of justice.
0: Yeah. And, and see, like, The modern world kinda wants us to read into this like she's just arm candy, but in truth she really wasn't. Like had she just kinda Mm -hmm. took that as an answer, then she wouldn't have done anything. She actually is really one of the most powerful people on the planet in the time, if she's willing to step into that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times people aren't willing. Like that's one of the things which is really remarkable about the king is he should be like the most powerful man, but he's a total punk throughout the whole book. Like a total loser. Like he's he's bullied around by Haman, who's this crude, just tacky Jerk, Well, he's a slanderer. Yeah, and he's a a slanderer. I mean, he embodies what evil is. And it's pretty obvious that he's trying to usurp the king. Like, I I hate to, like, just call that out. No, that's right. But, like, come on, man. Like, he's taking your ring. He's trying to, like, come on. He's trying to take your kingdom from you. But Esther here, when the the question of justice, I I actually am going to give her a a nice eight as well. I I think she scores really high on this one. I'm really, really impressed with it. And the last one, courage. Mm. And we'll... We'll try to get through this so we can <laughs> go on to some other other things. Yeah. A minute. I'll
1: give her a 10 on that one. And I know I said I didn't want to give tens, but through all that, that we've discussed, all the ups and downs, she still has to put one foot in front of the other and does it. And like courage is not the absence of fear, but it is signing something is more important than that fear. Right. And she does that time and time again. So she just, and I think that's what makes up for maybe some of those lower scores I gave her, all those, they were still pretty high scores, It's because even when she wasn't sure if she should be hopeful, even if she wasn't sure justice was going to win the day, she still moved forward. And so I'm going to give her a 10.
2: All right, Pastor Mike? I'll give her a strong 9. And, you know, I I agree with Pastor Amanda on that. It's nothing much more than I can say other than, yes, she's a, a good, strong woman of courage.
0: Yeah, I can't add anything to that either. And I've given her a 10. Um, so our final scores for Esther are 63 for me, 63 for Mike, and 56 for Amanda. Mm, I was a little so harsh, sorry. You're a little <laughs> bit harsh. But you know what? It's crazy because our, our scores are actually remarkably similar, even mm-hmm. though we gave disparate answers between each each category. But again, look at the difference between Esther and Jonah. <laughs> uh, you, you want to be ruled. You want Queen Esther at the top of your society. Um,
2: and... You don't, you don't want, want so, Jonah. You don't want some of these. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think the numbers are a little bit misleading because many of us are based everything on a hundred scale, just right. Because this of our education. But she's on the A team, man. There's no doubt. No, yeah. This is this is this, an A score. Yeah, yeah, out of seventy. Yeah. A plus. Yeah, out of seventy. This is a really good score.
0: Um, so we've actually gone on this a lot longer than I thought we would. Okay. I thought we would get through this pretty quickly. I had a bunch of biblical characters, but what do we think about this? Rating them against the cardinal virtues. I actually think this can tell you a lot. I actually think there's a lot of information we could derive from this. So we may do some more of this in yeah, the future.
1: I think that would be
0: fun. Um, it'd be fun to, to weigh someone like Samson out on this, who's just wild and crazy.
1: He's, he would have, a, I think, a much—where like Jonah stays pretty low and Esther stays pretty high. I think Samson would be like— Yeah, yeah. Samson's
0: <laughs> going to be someone who's, who's all over the place. Um, Pastor Mike, would you like to come back to this in the future? Absolutely. All right, so we may do some more of this. Okay. But for now, we're going to have a segment break. And then we're going to come back and talk about cryptids. Mm. But let me have a, a quick sales pitch on my cardinal virtue test, because I would actually like to make this into something people could fill out, where you answer questions, kind of like you do with the personality test. And then in the end, it kind of gives you a score on all of these things. I, th- I think that would be a cool thing, because this isn't just a pure me looking at me. This is a me comparing myself to God. You know, Colossians 2.8, you know, be wary lest anyone scam you into you know perdition by way of you know vain philosophies and deceits you know using the rudiments of men and the world not measuring yourself against christ if we do measure ourselves against christ we can learn a lot from that so i think this could be a lot of usefulness here so we'll we'll go there let's have a segment break and then we're going to come back and do a little bit of craziness (laughs) craziness craziness coming All right, thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Lagos. We're going to be talking about some cryptids. Now, we're going to be playing a game with cryptids. And one of the things that I have found is that a lot of people are interested in cryptids in the church. It's crazy how many people, I I would have never thought that people within my own congregation would ask me about things like the Mothman or Bigfoot or Aliens, but (laughs) it actually happens. So I thought we might tackle this a little bit from the pastoral angle. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be playing a game. Games are fun, right? I'm going to be sharing three accounts that people have had of cryptids, but I'm not gonna give you the full story. In fact, we're gonna be completing the story with a multiple choice question, Hmm. trying to be figuring out what did people see. And when I say we're figuring out what people saw, we're not gonna be offering the solution to this, like explaining it, like, oh, that wasn't really a UFO, it was a jet or something like that. We're not gonna be explaining it. We're just gonna be trying to, to guess what the missing piece of the story is. So these are real accounts that people have seen, Now, whether or not they're true, we don't know. But I want us to just see if we can guess what people claim they saw. Okay. So, this will be multiple choice. Here we go. In the year 1968, in Fairmont, West Virginia, Jennings Frederick, and yes, that is his name, not Frederick Jennings, but Jennings Frederick, (laughs) he was hunting when he heard what sounded like a high-pitched record player. He went to investigate the sound and found himself eye-to-eye with a strange creature. He said it looked like a weak and sickly creature, and the creature kept speaking in a fast, confusing way. But at some point, Frederick could actually understand and hear what this monster was saying to him. The strange creature, which looked a little bit like it was made out of vegetables. It said, you need not fear me. I wish to communicate, I come as a friend. We know of you all, and I come in peace. I only wish for medical assistance. I need your help. Now this cryptid, which is now known as the Vegetable Man, (laughs) the Vegetable Man then did something to Jennings Frederick. And so you got two choices. Did the Vegetable Man, A, wrap his arms around Jennings Frederick's and with surprising strength hold him tight and then pierce his skin with the thorns on his vegetable self and withdraw blood from his victim and then release him and run away did he do that or alternatively did he steal the man's 14-point buck excuse me pick up the man's 14-point buck begin to eat it like a snake and then after swallowing it run away taking the all evidence of the buck with it which of these was the correct account a or b or- did he
1: or option C, did he uh, s- uh, play a tuba and dance with a tomato? No. Um,
0: yes, insert VeggieTale <laughs> jokes joke here. here. Um, um,
1: I want to go with A, because he was saying something about medical help, and so maybe drawing blood helped him heal. Okay, so
0: you're going to go with A. I think, yeah, Mike, what do you think happened here? Did he steal the buck, or did he suck blood in, like, a weird vegetable vampire way? Wow. <laughs>
2: You Just know, create I'm options. I want to go with B. Yeah, I want to go with C. It says, what, what 1968? 1968. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of want to say it's it, maybe it stole his LSD or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, I, I think I'm, I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B? Uh,
0: the correct answer was A. Ah. It wrapped around the man and using its strong arms and its thorns, it pierced his skin and drained his blood, then released him and ran away. Now,
1: did he survive? Did Frederick Jennings or Jennings Frederick or whatever his name, did he survive this encounter or is yes. he dead?
0: Okay. Uh, Jennings Frederick, who should be named Frederick Jennings. <laughs> he said it actually was painless when he sucked his blood from him. Well, there and you go. he ran away and felt like nothing happened. So, who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay now let's get to the tommy knockers which is just a fun name i don't i you you get some names out there for cryptids you've got like the i've caused the bigfoot sasquatch but then you get things like the chupacabra and now we've got the tommy knockers so for hundreds of years people have reported all around the world and miners by the way the tommy Mark, the tommy knockers are associated with miners and men who have worked in mines, they've reported small men wearing mining outfits just like they are. However, these men, they are impish. They're gnome-like. In fact, they look like the little gnomes we might see in a garden. They're about two feet tall at the most and their heads are large and they are wrinkly with white whiskers. Now, these are called the tommy knockers and they appear as a miner with a light. And sometimes they come first as a fog or a mist and then Take on kind of a spectral shape. Other times they just look like a small miner. Now, these Tommy knockers, they come and, as you might guess, they do a lot of knocking on the walls. They knock on the, the caverns and things of that nature. And a lot of times they have different rhythms and things they'll establish. And sometimes they're trying to communicate messages like dig here or don't dig here. Sometimes they warn people of impending disaster. However, aside from their larger enterprises, the Tommyknockers are also known as doing small, peevish, and mischievous things. So what are the small, mischievous things that the Tommyknockers do? Choice A. They offer to reveal rich caverns, you know, nice veins where you can find or things. They, they offer to reveal these rich caverns and veins if you'll answer their knocking riddles. That's choice one. So they're kind of like the Riddler. Choice two, they eat the miners' lunch and steal their tools. Choice three, they attack the miners, strip them of their clothes, and then send them away in shame. A, B, or C, what do they do here? Do they give them riddles? Do they eat their food? Or do they attack them and send them away naked and ashamed?
1: I feel like A sounds the most, like, logical. Even though we're dealing with cryptids. Um, In the sense of like that would be kind of how it sounds very much like a fairy or a myth fairy tale ending with like, hey, you know, answer my riddles three and I'll give you gold or coal or whatever you're looking for. But also I really like option B because if I'm in a very close, tight working environment with people that as people do are going to steal my lunch and borrow my tools and not put them back, I'm going to blame the the Tommy knocker. So I'm going to go with B. You're
2: going to go with B? Pastor Mike. Yeah, I, I want to go with uh, D and say it's uh, there, the canary has died. There's not enough oxygen down there. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with A. I, I think there's something about there that kind of falls into that legend and myth and hmm. leprechaunish rainbow, I mean, gold at the end of the rainbow. So I, I don't know. We'll see. The correct answer is B,
0: they eat the miners' oh, lunches wow. and steal their tools, which also makes me think— they really aren't real. They're just people <laughs> eating food. They're just people stealing mm. their neighbor's lunch. I think there's actually some sin that explains <laughs> this. Um, so Pastor Amanda got that one right. Going back, who who got the first one right? Somebody. I Amanda. got the first one right. Yeah. Oh, You got them right both times? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: The true cryptozoologist. <laughs> yes,
0: the true cryptozoologist. Okay. So the next one we're going to talk about is Grampus. And I, I love the story of Grampus.
1: Okay.
0: So going back a couple of hundred years ago in England in a rural church that's out kind of in rural England, uh, High Clare church in its yard, there is a cryptid, a mysterious monster who lives in a tree. Now this monster living in the tree, uh, named Grampus, has menaced people who pass by. It would have people it liked, people it didn't like, and it was just a straight up menace. And eventually, a clergyman who we don't know anything about them, but there was there was a preacher who came along and kind of did an exorcism. He brought along bells, candles, and stuff and exorcised the tree. And supposedly, Grampus was sent away to go dwell in the bottom of the Red Sea for a thousand years. So Grampus was sent out. But the question for us is, of all the accounts of Grampus here in the churchyard of Highclere Church, and there's actually a tree, specific tree that Grampus supposedly lived in. Um, and I've got a picture of it pulled up here. What did Grampus look like? Hmm. Did he look like A, a robed figure who hums hymns at those he likes and sings taunting limericks at those he doesn't? That's choice A. (laughs) Did he look like B, a porpoise or dolphin who lives in the tree, wheezing in anger at those he dislikes? Or C, did he look like a two-faced goblin who tells people's secrets to ward them away? So what does Grampus look like? Does he look like the robed figure who does hymns or limericks, whether he likes you or not? Does he look like a porpoise in a tree um, who wheezes in anger if he doesn't like you? Or is he a two-faced goblin that will tell your secret if you come by? He'll he'll reveal the secrets of your heart to ward you away. Amanda?
1: Oh, all those are such great options. I really, I think C sounds the most like a kind of a, a morality tale myth. And A, though also... Sounds like something a little trickster would do near a church with the hymns and the limericks. B is totally out there which means it's definitely not or definitely is. <laughs> like only only something this crazy. Um hmm. I really am thinking between A and C. So let's go with We haven't picked C yet. No. So we're going to I'm going to go with You're C. You're going to go with the
0: two-faced goblin. The
1: two-faced goblin that tells your secrets. No.
0: And that would be a real menace, yeah, um, on on everybody. <laughs> like we we strive to be holy people.
1: There's an element of like an early Father Brown episode that that's that there, this is reminding me of. This, is,
0: this would make an interesting Father Brown mm-hmm. episode. Um, Pastor Mike, is it the robed figure who does hymns and limericks? Is it the porpoise that lives in the tree, or is it the two faced goblin that tells your secrets?
2: You, you know, the weirdest of these is B. The I porpoise. The, the the porpoise. And since the other two are so, I, I, I don't want to say believable. That's not <laughs> it. But they they kind of match the, mm-hmm. the the stereotype of a of a story. But I, for this to be so odd, I'm going to go with B. B seems like the odd man out. So I'm yeah. gonna go that route. And and Pastor Mike is correct. It is. Grampus <laughs> is a
0: porpoise that lives in a tree.
1: Was was the porpoise that was that was mummified by mon- monks? Okay, was see, that this
0: is, this was is that the in thing. England? No, it was off the coast. They're off of England and France. Okay. But see, I actually think the two stories are connected. So here I've got a picture I pulled up for people of Grampus, the porpoise that lives in the tree, <laughs> and wheezes at people. Like, that's how he threatens you. He just wheezes at you. Um, it's sh- like a strange strange... bad theme
1: song to SpongeBob. the squ- mm-hmm. who lives... <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who is the porpoise that lives in a tree? Um, Scrapins. Sounds like a bonfire time for me. get, get a little firewood. Yeah, and the, they've got the tree that Porpoise or Grampus su- supposedly lives in right here. So it, it's a nasty-looking tree. Um there's <laughs> a
1: Porpoise living in it.
0: It does have a Porpoise living in it. Uh, so a bizarre story, Grampus is. But interestingly, yeah. actually, I'm glad you brought this up because this is where my mind immediately went. So a couple of years ago on Kingdom of the Logos, we actually called him on the phone, and he, he actually was willing to Skype with us. There was off the coast of England and France a, a little porpoise that had been mummified by some monks and put in like their church cemetery. Mm. Like what in the world was this porpoise doing mummified and given like a proper burial? We don't know, but we did have the church history porpoise on the phone. In (laughs) fact, we may try to get him on the phone again after (laughs) finding out this is related because that porpoise died in the 14th century and he was mummified in the 14th century. The stories of grampus happen kind of in the 1800s. So they're about 100, 150, 200 years ago. So my estimation is, is Grampus may be some haunting from the church history portals. That may actually be his name. He didn't remember his name. He His name might have been Grampus, and he might have been menacing people in another church. There might have been some heretics there. We don't know. He, he was doing well with the monks over there <laughs> off the, you know, off off land just a little bit on their little island. And then some people were acting bad there in high clearing, and, and he had to go up there and go sort ahead. it out.
1: But now he's been banished to, what, the Red Sea? Yeah, he's
0: been sent Which to the Red Sea. It's such
1: a random place. Like, you're all the way in England, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to send you the Red Sea. Like, I guess it's it's a biblical location, right? if that's what they were thinking. But it does seem like an awfully random it, one it just, to banish it people It is a random to.
0: thing. But then again, it's a porpoise living in a tree. So I guess that's kind of random, too. <laughs> mm. It
1: follows I, the trend.
0: Yeah, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about doing, you know, the porpoise, the SpongeBob theme with your... <laughs> With grandpa's uh, wild, wild stories. Well, we'll wrap this up here. We just wanted to have some fun with some, <laughs> some cryptids. Um, let's actually do a quick quick round of buy, sell, or hold on these. Okay. Are we buying or selling or holding the Veggie Man?
1: As in it happened? What are we
0: yeah, buying here? Just, that it happened. And you can interpret that however you want. Buy, sell, or hold the Veggie Man. Did it happen? Or is this just drugs?
1: Yeah, I want to go with drugs.
0: You I'm going go to sell it. You're going you're to say, uh, okay, Pastor Mike. <laughs> Sale. You're selling the Veggie Man. I'm selling the Veggie Man, too. And there's only the one incidence of it. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and yeah, so I'm selling the Veggie Man. Okay, next we had the Tommy Walkers, which is found all over the world. Mm. Uh, for hundreds of years, people have had the, the Tommy Knockers, not Walkers, the Tommy Knockers. Uh, what about that, Amanda? Buy, sell, or hold the Tommy Knockers.
1: Um, I think it's very much human nature, so I'm going to sell, it. Gonna sell I, it. I think, too. yeah.
2: Yeah, too many t- hungry miners down there looking. <laughs> yeah, right. at right. <laughs> lunch boxes as sale.
0: The, the Tommyknockers can be purely explained by sin, like basic sin. Not even con. Not even like well Clever, yeah. Sin. Yeah, just basic sin. So I want to buy just to add some, you know, color to this episode. But I'm going to sell the, the Tommyknockers mm-hmm. as well. Though, if you were a ghost, if you are a spook, I mean, a mine is a nice place to live. You know, it's got its nice style to it. And then finally on Grampus, which. Was recorded for a long time. There yeah. are a lot of stories around Grampus. and there's even a tree. Like people know the tree. Like I, pull up my right picture. There he is. There's there's Grampus's tree. <laughs> like there's a lot here.
1: I'm gonna buy it. Not, I mean, part of me is like I don't believe in a dolphin in a tree or a porpoise in a tree. But then like 90% of me is like, why not? Like just yeah yeah. So many people saw it. Either something was in the water, or they were trying to explain something with you know and the only human uh thing we could conceive of to articulate what was being seen was a porpoise who knows but something was happening there yeah. so i'm gonna buy it
0: yeah pastor mike uh sale <laughs> you're selling it. you see the porpoise in the tree is actually the most believable mm-hmm. of these stories and i'm buying it too like bring out the fox molder attire like i want to believe <laughs> i almost brought my poster with me i believe i um, I I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Mm, yeah. Or like the the whole derivative of the X Files poster that Pastor Amanda made me. I may bring that next week. Um, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> I'm I'm here for the porpoise in the tree, which may have well been a demon, or it could have been a reincarnated. You know, dolphin saint. We don't know. We don't know
1: who's now swimming in the Red Sea. Like, see, and also for a thousand years. A thousand so I was going to ask when this happened. You said it was in the eighteen hundreds. So we still have about about eight hundred so years before it comes popping back up. But if we go to the Red Sea, will we find Grandpa? And
0: see that that might be. Th- this might be how the beast emerges. Like, the beast <laughs> arrives out of the sea. It's going to be next to the Red Sea. It's going to be a porpoise. Like, we, we we think about all these images of what the beast looks like with all these heads, these horns, these diadems, all these, like, gross, monstrous things. And the truth, it's going to be a really nasty porpoise that rolls up out. And people are going to look at this porpoise and be like, oh, yeah, Grampus. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, let's get us some Grampus going on. Um, it sounds too much like Grandpa. It does sound like Grandpa, or though. Gramps. I, yeah. You gotta sell that on that on that alone. <laughs> I yeah, Grampus I, I hope that nobody has the porpoise tree for a grandpa. Um he's probably not a good grandpa, but we'll end there. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And I think if any episode has been critical thinking and adventure, it's been this one. Like we, been. we had critical thinking the first segment. This second segment is pure adventure. <laughs> like into the porpoise and the tree unknown. So yeah. With that, we'll catch you around next time. God love you and have a blessed day.